welcome to Justice Today, the official podcast of the Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, where we shine a light on cutting-edge research and practices and offer an in-depth look at what we're doing to meet the biggest public safety challenges of our time. Join us as we explore how funding, science, and technology help us achieve strong communities. Hi, everyone. It's Jim Dawson. I'm a science writer for NIJ. This is the second half of my conversation with NIJ scientist Greg Dutton about the microbiome. Be sure to listen to part one if you haven't already. So now I understand that they've for some years been able to, if I touch something, I leave my DNA on the surface and that's straight DNA analysis. But I noticed in one of our reports that if we don't leave very much DNA, we may leave a lot of bacteria or microbes and that kind of thing that makes it useful. But when you have those microbes as kind of living evidence, how do you, I mean, is there DNA analysis of the microbes? How do you process those? What, what's the yes, involved in absolutely. that? Absolutely. I'm actually glad you mentioned um, we do transfer our own DNA when we touch things. And, right. you know, an investigator is going to want to first see if they can collect human DNA, right? Because that can be tied to an individual. And so if you can get that, you're going to take it. Problem is, um, you know, we often don't transfer a lot, right? So it's often a challenge to collect enough human DNA um, and um, make sure that you, you know, you can get a complete uh, profile to, to search a database. Um, that doesn't, you know, that's challenging. You know, the, the current uh, technology for collecting human DNA from touch samples it works sometimes. It doesn't always work. Microbiome can be another um, source of information if the human DNA profile from a touch sample either doesn't return a hit from a database or you don't get a, a complete profile. So that, that's one of the reasons that this is really being sort of put the microbiome, touch microbiome is being pushed forward is as another tool of additional information. Um, you asked uh, what are you really looking at when you're when you're collecting and analyzing um, microbial DNA? Um, so you know, just think about it. You're you know we're 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 taking an object or a surface and and swabbing it, right? Collecting right. DNA. That's a soup of of information, a soup of stuff, right? So first you need to uh, extract the DNA from that, right? Um, then you need to analyze it and. I mentioned before this bacterial um, microbiome standard. So it's called 16S ribosom- ribosomal RNA. Right. And this is, a, um, this is a, a, a gene that all bacteria have, right? Um, there's some uh, portions that are conserved so that are the same across all, all species. And there's some regions that are variable. So it's just it's a very convenient specific place that you can look um, in a bacterial genome to classify what kind of bacteria do I have. So the sequences on, uh, in the 16S RNA region are characteristic of of the type and species of bacteria. So you can use sequencing of that region to say, oh, I've got this bacterium, this one, this one, these types, you can cluster them into to, to types of bacteria, and you can 
uh, quantify relative ratios of those to get a profile. So that's what we're really talking about. We're looking at this specific part of the bacterial genome, and we're sequencing that to uh, identify groups and species of bacteria. Okay. It sounds like a challenge to process that much DNA and distinguish between bacteria with it. Yeah. The point is that, you know, once you sort of specify the process, um, they, researchers in this area, they often call it a, uh, a data pipeline. Once you sort of specify mm -hmm. what it is that you are uh, analyzing, um, then you can analyze, you know, lots and lots and lots of samples. If you analyze them in the same way, then you're going to get useful information uh, in order to compare samples. So you just have to sort okay. of specify the, the standards in the process and, and you're set. Okay. And is the goal here, then I want to know what the variety or the mix in the population is, as opposed to, I mean, the value of knowing one bacteria type is not as valuable as knowing who all is in the swab, right? I mean, if we've got a bunch of different bacteria, what the mix is, I assume that's where the identifying nature of this comes, right? Yeah, it's both. So it's actually, this is challenging. And so the, the more recent research in trace microbiome is looking for specific uh, species that may be more, um, may give us more uh, ability to differentiate between individuals. So oh, a lot of okay. these, you know, uh, skin microbiome profiles are they're 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 common to all of us, right? And we may have you know certain um, uh, groups of bacteria in different proportions, but that you know can sort of just tell you, oh, this is likely to be a male, or this is you know likely to be a person, you know, over the age of whatever. Um, that's useful, right? And an investigator is going to want that information if they can get it. Um, but on the forensic end right, in, in terms of trying to associate evidence with, a, with an individual or assess whether this evidence could be associated with an individual, you're going to need more specific um, handles to look at. And so, you know, they're, they're looking for more specific um, species-level uh, bacteria. Yep. Okay, and would that tell us what the person eats, what drugs they're on, other things like that. I mean, does it get that specific? What, what kind of portrait does it paint? It could, yeah. A lot of that stuff is maybe not yet um, known, right? Certainly, mm -hmm. um, the, the types of bacteria that live on us, um, the, you know, they're adapted to the environment. So a lot of those characteristics um, would go into determining why it is that we have a certain, you know, microbiome profile that we do. Um, and, you know, many of those things just aren't understood yet. Okay. And I understand uh, that there's a thing called shedders with microbiomes that um, some people leave a lot of material behind, some less. Uh, is that understood? I mean, is that true, number one? And are some people just naturally kind of leaving clouds of their biome behind them as they go through a room? Yeah. That? I believe that that is understood to be true for microbiome. I know that it's pretty well established for human DNA, right? So mm -hmm. the, there's, there, there's um, documented to be big differences between, um, they do call them shedders, people who tend to leave a lot of DNA behind them. 
you know, they, they may be, uh, for whatever reason, sloughing off more skin cells than, than, than other people. And I, I, would, I would expect that uh, people who are high shedders for human DNA means they're leaving behind a lot of, you know, skin cells, um, that, that probably they're also leaving a lot of, uh, a lot more uh, microbial content behind. Because, you know, the, the bacteria and viruses that live on our skin, they're kind of just, they're, they're on, on everything that we leave behind. And, you know, you mentioned the sort of uh, a bacterial cloud. So there have been a couple of really interesting studies uh, recently showing that we actually, you can actually collect bacteria that must have been transported through the air, right? So mm-hmm. um, not, not some touch contact, but um, through air contact. Um, even more recently, this isn't microbiome, but, you know, actual human DNA. Um, it's been shown that we actually exhale small amounts of our own DNA into the air, um, into the little droplets that, uh, that are in the, 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 the uh, exhaled breath that we breathe out. So there's a, I think there's a lot of potential for sensing these uh, ways that we can deposit DNA and um, microbiome. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's some interesting stuff that I think that we'll see in the future. Okay, and of the, of the future, one of the problems I know with most fields of forensics is trying to get them the advances accepted in um, crime labs, medical examiners, routines, um, and then ultimately get them into the courts. I know our funding is more on the science than the uh, how it's accepted by law enforcement, but they're tied together. So how do you... How do you yeah. work with law enforcement to get them to understand what it is you're doing and to start using it? Yeah, um, that's a good point that, you know, what we've been talking about now is, you know, applied research to show the potential for forensic use for these techniques. Actual practical use in forensic labs is going to need a few things. One of the big things is adoption of new um, DNA sequencing technology. Most forensic labs now, they are, um, they, they're, they're built to analyze human DNA and specifically the uh, FBI core CODIS loci, right? So they're really set up for that. This, doing microbiome um, routinely in a forensic lab would require um, uh, next-gen sequencing um, instruments in their labs. Most labs don't have that yet. There are other reasons for human, for human DNA analysis that labs should be adopting next-gen sequencing technology sometime soon. Um, it's not clear how long that will take. Once they have that, they could incorporate uh, microbiome analysis, um, but they need that technology first. Um, another thing that, that, that's really necessary is, I'll go back to standards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the community would have to really arrive at a set of forensic standards for microbiome analysis and comparison, and that really hasn't happened yet. NIST is leading. So NIST is the place in the federal government that, you know, really works to help establish standards, um, you know, for scientific communities. And they, they've just started a new um, International Microbiome Standards Alliance, um, so there are first steps towards that, but there's still quite a ways away from uh, established standards for how to analyze um, microbiome. 
So you're talking um, expenses and getting new machines and crime labs, that kind of thing. And then once you've established that, then you have to get it accepted in the courts. And that is yeah. a thing I, a whole different well, standard, right? The, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that too, the courts. So one of the key things that the courts um, really require is a peer-reviewed literature foundation. And um, that's what we're building now with this research, right? So everything that we are doing, um, that our researchers are doing, um, to, to work out exactly um, the parameters of what can be done and what, um, what's possible, that's going to be the foundation that the courts will rely on to determine whether or not it's reliable. So um, that's a key part. All right. And I had uh, one of the researchers that has been on this for a number of years talked about how he looks back at the work he did in this 10 or 12 years ago. And um, I think he might have used the word laughable, but um, just by how hard and how crude it was. And then he said, the work we're doing right now is very sophisticated, but 20 years from now, we'll look back on it as being the Stone Age. And uh, that's kind of how science is, right? I mean, no matter how sophisticated you are, it always, in retrospect, looks crude when you look back Absolutely. on what you've done. Yeah, That's right. There's not an end point, right? You, right. You're always learning. Yep. Um, standing on the shoulders of giants, they say. Science is, <laughs> is incremental, right? And, uh, I mean, even at the point that this is now, um, a forensic microbiome trace, um, it's amazing that we've got to this point. It isn't ready yet, but, you know, we can see it moving in that direction. And, you know, this research is our, these are the steps that we need to take in order to get there. All right. And I want to talk just one last thing about the, the push-pull between science and more general, um, you know, I guess medical practices or is, I know some of the NIJ-supported microbiome research was used, uh, the techniques to detect the uh, COVID virus in college classrooms and to look at wastewater from dorms and that kind of thing. Um, just this identifying microbes on a massive scale, some of the work transferred over yeah. to doing that. Does it work the other way around? Will we get um, the pandemic research push microbiome science more generally forward and have that feedback on forensics? Ooh, I, I think you're right. So, um, yeah. you know, specifically, I think devices for quick detection of, you know, for, for COVID, it's specifically viral, but um, I think, you know, the more generalizable um, devices for quick detection of microbial um, agents, absolutely. That I think has moved ahead quite a bit uh, because of the pandemic. You also, you mentioned the, the, the research. I was so happy to hear that that those researchers were able to use the expertise that they they developed in their lab, put it to good use during the pandemic to, you know, they, they're experts mm -hmm. at um, collecting uh, microbial evidence. So they typically work with bacteria, but in this case, viruses is no different, right? They're collecting DNA or RNA and they're sequencing it. And so they put their expertise to use to um, uh, collect trace samples, collect wastewater samples. So that was one thing that was found in this, that wastewater for detecting uh, uh, viral infections in, in a certain area, right? Collect the wastewater from, say, a specific dorm, and um, you may be able to tell if there's an infection outbreak in that dorm. 
And the pandemic has shown that wastewater detection is very, very useful, more so than, than surface swabbing. Um, so it was just really great to see those researchers put their expertise to, to good use during the pandemic. Well, thanks, Greg. This was an interesting discussion about the microbiome and where it's going in forensics. And um, I hope we can get together and talk again about uh, more of the forensic science that's moving forward with NIJ. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Um, I really had a great time talking to you today and um, really looking forward to another chance to talk about other interesting topics. To learn more about today's topic or about NIJ, visit the links in the episode description and join us for new episodes every month. Opinions or points of view expressed in this episode represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice. Any products and manufacturers discussed in this episode are presented for informational purposes only and do not constitute product approval or endorsement by the U.S. Department of Justice.